0: Hour number two of Canucks Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherratt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. Hour one of the show focusing on where the Canucks' improved forward group stacks up in the rest of the Western Conference and also why it is a top five forward group in the Western Conference. Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette on uh, the moves Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton have put together and how they are setting up the Montreal Canadiens for the future. and Also, what to do with Pierre-Luc Dubois. What would you do, Sat, if you were Kent Hughes? And you find out Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to come to Montreal. He's two years out from free agency. Do you make the trade now, or do you just sit on your assets and see what happens then?
1: If you're Montreal, you're waiting out one more year. At
0: least. If he wants to
1: be there that badly,
0: you wait it out one more year. Well, also, like, if he really wants Montreal, um, how many teams are going to be willing to trade for Pierre Luc Dubois, other than Montreal? If if like, would you trade for Pierre Luc Dubois if you know you have zero chance of keeping him? Yeah, uh, that, that kind of mm-hmm. raises even more question marks for the Winnipeg Jets in that type of a conversation. Now, I don't know about you, Sat. But uh, when I go to a wedding, I like to look at least close to my best, dapper, if you will. Uh, I clean up nice, some would say, whenever I do join the panel yeah. with Murph. Uh, but uh, Chris Faber, uh, seen on Twitter this weekend, at a wedding, in shorts. Chris Faber joins us now. Explain yourself.
2: Well, the only cleaning up I would have to do would be the sweat if I was wearing pants. So I'm pretty happy i <laughs> wearing <the> shorts, actually. <laughs>
1: You know, uh, how much, oh, I almost said, how much crap did you catch for that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that. Uh, uh, I think the biggest problem was making a mistake with the, uh, the Puma socks. I think that probably was a mistake. The shoes were probably a mistake, but I was thinking like, and this is something I put on the list of like something I need to own now as an adult is some sort of like dressy shoes that look good with shorts. Cause I, I will be wearing shorts to another wedding. I can, absolutely guarantee you that but i don't think uh i think the work that needs to be done is on the whole uh footwear section there because the puma socks were showing it wasn't looking great
0: <laughs> okay yeah you've got uh yeah i mean maybe some boat shoes or something like uh i, I don't know you, you could have upgraded the footwear uh maybe some no-show socks invest in some of those you know those help people like seeing ankle these
2: days favor come on interesting yeah i don't know i i know that the shorts were good for the dance floor i was not worried about that at all so that was good but uh overall <laughs> I, I don't regret anything guys i don't regret anything
0: i love it uh well hey man own it if you if you can i'm not gonna i'm not gonna harp on you too much for it but were uh, you cutting up a rug pretty good though
2: oh absolutely i mean the only problem with the dance floor was it shut down at about midnight because that one of these fancy establishments ah you know, like, i see there's something about like a good backyard wedding, you know, or somebody that you know that has like a bunch of land, and you get to have a wedding out there where the dance floor is going till like three in the morning. You know, you're having a good time, and then yeah, that's the problem with these. You know, you go to a nice establishment; it was great. We're over at like uh, the Nanaimo Golf Club, really good spot over there, good wedding. But uh, yeah, dance floor shuts down at about twelve o'clock, so that wasn't great. That was that was the one downside I have to say.
0: Uh, one listener shocked you did not wear Crocs. Uh, so
2: there it is. <laughs> well they didn't see the shot of me after the dance floor so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh you were covering dev camp uh pretty much more than anybody else uh last week uh favor um what was your biggest takeaway uh from the week watching uh the canucks uh best prospects
2: yeah i think that um one thing that i wanted to see and it's only four days but i think you can still take away like a player's consistency throughout those four days and the big one for me was was honestly watching RC Baines. I thought that through and through, like, uh, you know, you're watching these players at development camp and you're kind of projecting what they're going to look like when they get to the pro level. And for Baines, I mean, he's going to be at the pro level pretty dang soon here. He's going to be out in Abbotsford this fall. And, and he was, to me, the guy that wasn't the best player every day of camp, but there was probably a day or two where he was kind of the guy that really caught my eye the most. And the good thing was that he was catching my eye for all good reasons. Like he was consistent through and through. I loved the way that he received passes, was able to continue plays, looked good in all the drills uh, and then showed up in the scrimmage and was one of the players that I thought was, you know, physically a little bit stronger than everyone. And, you know, for him to be a little bit of an overager, you know, at like 21 years old playing against some 18 and 19 year olds, you kind of hope that he could do that. Uh, But there was other players that you were kind of hoping with the older age that they were really going to stick out. And I just thought that, Baines was one of the guys that really stepped up to the occasion. Like, I I watched him play against guys like, you know, Tristan Nielsen, Danilo Klimovic, or Alex Knuck-Leeper, like, guys that played in the AHL last year, and there was no worries watching Baines go up against these guys. And there was actually, you know, optimism from watching how he was able to lean on these players and just look a little bit bigger and stronger and more consistent. Like... You know, I love Danilo Klimovich. I love the potential that he has, but you need to be consistent when you're firing shots. And yeah, Danilo Klimovich rips a couple bar down here and there, uh, and it's impressive when he does it. Uh, you just hope that there's more consistency. Consistency there uh, with Baines, it just felt like you know every shot he took was hard, every pass he made was on the dot. He was able to receive passes that were behind him and his feet, everything. I just thought that through and through to the four days, like the guy that I give the A-plus letter grade to is R.C. Baines throughout. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to we can do an for this year.
1: Well, and, you know, that's one of those things where can, can the Canucks get one of those guys that was at training camp this year that they signed to maybe play some games for them? And, you know, whether that's a Ghost of Sun, I mean, yeah, whether that's John, John Philip uh, Johansson, whether that's, you know, a player like Niels Amann, from what you've seen, how... How big of a step would it be if, if those guys or one of those guys could actually play a handful of games at some point this season?
2: Yep. I mean, it's free money, right? It's, it's great. It's like when I woke up from the wedding and found that I still had $40 left in my back pocket. It was awesome. I uh, <laughs> Like, just looking at, like, Niels almonds, a great example of a player who, like, I wouldn't say that looking at all the guys from the development camp that he's, like, the number one guy to play NHL games next year. But if you're giving me, like, pretty good odds on it, like, maybe, you know, you know, nine to one odds on Amon being the guy who plays an NHL game next year from that development camp. Like I, I'd probably take that. I thought he's a you know big body can play center. He's really fast. And like that really stuck out in the development camp throughout the drills. I thought that his game was a little, I uh, like almost reckless at points. And I think that might be something that could maybe help him if he wants to get to the NHL level. Uh, you could, when we talked to Patrick Alvin, we knew that he was, you know, happy that Amund could play some center as well. And I know that getting an opportunity to play the world championships had to be big for him. And you look at it and it's like, you know, he he wasn't in the top 100 for scoring in the SHL. You look at Linus Carlson, he was ninth in scoring in the SHL last year. He's a guy who doesn't get to play one game of the world championships, even though he was on the roster for Sweden, when Nils Amund's a guy who's out there killing penalties, playing in every game of the world championships. So there's something about his game uh, that fits into a lineup specifically in a bottom six role. And I don't think that we're going to see Linus Carlson hop in and play top six NHL minutes this year. Uh, I'm curious to see who they kind of want to run more on a fourth line. In my eyes, it would probably be Neil Niels Almond more than it would be Linus Carlson. So I, I, like, I, I really liked Almond's game. I think he was a nice little pickup there. There's a lot to like about the size and the speed in his game. And if he's willing to go to the AHL and we didn't really get a – a firm answer from him if that's exactly what he wants to do. I think he wants to come here and work as hard as he can to battle against guys like Will Lockwood uh, and Dakota Joshua for a chance to be able to play on that fourth line. It'll be interesting to see what happens if he doesn't end up making the NHL out of camp, and I think that's probably the direction that we're going to see this play out. But I'd I'd love to see him go down to the AHL and just work hard in the AHL because I think that there could be some NHL opportunities for him as soon as next year.
0: Uh, Chris Faber, our guest, uh, his takeaways on Canucks development camp from last week. Um, of the draft class from this year, who impressed you the most?
2: Yeah, I mean, the top two guys were excellent. Uh, you know, I was on a flight over from Montreal with Elias Pettersson and Jonathan LeCaramacchi. I think with LeCaramacchi, it's like, you know, there's going to be a process here. I know I've seen a lot of people get really excited about, you know, oh, if he rips it up in the Al next year, he'll be over in the NHL in no time. But this is a guy who needs needs a little bit of time to get to that level. Like you could clearly see he was, you know, smaller than a lot of guys out there on the ice. He was a player that's gonna need some time to kind of mature into his adult body a little bit. But still, like that being said, when you have a release that looks, you know, better than a guy like Daniel Klimovic, who's a big strong player, like with Tara Mackey, the puck just explodes off of his stick, whether it be a one timer or a wrist shot, there was a lot to like. And I think just from watching the tape on him before the draft as well. Like, Mackie is a guy who, who can take every shot from every part of the ice. Like, he's played the left side on the power play. He's played the right side. He's been in the bumper. He, he's a player that doesn't need, like, a perfect pass to get a shot off. And I really like what he's going to be able to do. I think next year's going to be fun to follow him uh, in the offense and He's going to get a lot of minutes. And from what we've kind of heard uh, from conversations with Mikhail Samuelson, like, uh, they're going to have a really exciting young line out there in the offense senskin of those kids from this draft class playing together. So that's gonna be really good, but the best player on day one for me was Elias Pettersson. like he was big he was strong, he was pushing on everyone and I was thinking like man this is this is really impressive for a guy at his age who was just recently drafted like you know like I said I was on the flight with him he was traveling a day before development camp uh, and for him to come up and show so well on the Monday it was great to see it was unfortunate that he went into the boards real hard, kind of banged up his knee but you know tough kid ends up getting out there on Thursday for the scrimmage scores a goal but he, you know, if, if you were out there or you saw clips from the scrimmage, that wasn't the Elias Pedersen that we saw on Monday. Like, he was not at 100% for sure in the scrimmage. Uh, Skating-wise, he looked really good on Monday. On Thursday, not so much the same. You could tell that knee was bugging him a little bit. But, you know, Pedersen's a guy who's kind of shot up my rankings a little bit on who to watch for prospect this fall, for sure. I, I really liked a lot of the raw talent and just strength that he has for such a young guy
1: now on the back end one player that has been talked about a lot over the past year after being he was drafted last year in the fifth round was jonathan Myrenberg, the right side defenseman had a very solid uh, you know draft plus one season had a chance to watch him a little bit here what did you make of the progress he's made and uh, how he showed a development camp
2: yeah you know what i thought he was the best defenseman uh throughout the four days i think that speaking with guys like ryan johnson and mikhail samuelson they're excited for the development that he's doing like we you mentioned it he was drafted last year's draft he's 19 years old right now uh and to me like just seeing him on the ice the way he views the ice the way he moves for a six foot two right shot defenseman uh he's absolutely a guy to watch and uh, from some of the people that i spoke to who watched a little bit more of him in the shl than i did like they were really high on him being able to you know, fit in as kind of a defensive defenseman in an FHL role where he had a couple games where he was up like 17, 18, 19 minutes, but mostly sitting around 10 minutes or so. And when I got a chance to chat with him, it was kind of like he didn't really know what type of player that they wanted him to be. Like, you see some offensive talent in his game, but the thing that I liked when they drafted him was he, he's a defensive defenseman first, right? And I think that's really good. And if you're looking at kind of the profile that the Vancouver Canucks need in their prospect system – being able to be a defensive defenseman on the right side is a massive hole that this team needs to fill. So if they're able to, you know, get Mikhail Samuelson out there working with him a lot, being able to have every piece of, of help that he needs over there for his development, uh, it's going to be massive. And, I, and like I said, I think he was the best defenseman at this camp. Uh, and to see that as a 19-year-old, it was, it was damn impressive. And, like, his body as well. I know he, he mentioned to me that he's added about 10 to 20 pounds and a lot of that being muscle. So he, he showed up there as a skinny kid, and he's really kind of beefed up, and he looks big out there. Like I know you guys got an opportunity to see him a little bit. Like he's a he's a big-bodied guy, and on the right side, that's that's a big upside for the Vancouver Canucks in their prospects. Well, like he's you know he's creeping into kind of my top five right now as I'm putting together the rankings right now. It's not Uh
0: Aiden McDonough is uh, is is he still as impressive as as what we've seen through his uh, through his college days at Northeastern?
2: Yeah, most definitely. I think he's he's a guy who's, like, you know, continued to improve every single year. He was one of the top scorers in the NCAA last year. I think the expectations for him this year, though they're, you know, in my eyes, they're sky high. Like, this is a guy who should be competing for the Hobie Baker as the best player in the NCAA this year. He should be in the top five for scoring. I wouldn't be shocked to see him compete for the, the top scoring player in the NCAA this year. And the skating looks strong. Like, I think that, you know, the work that he's been able to put in with the skating coach uh, back home, as well as uh, from what I heard from talking to him, that uh, he's able to get some, some Zoom calls with Mackenzie Braid, who's a skating coach out there in Abbotsford, and I think was doing an excellent job with the prospects throughout the camp. Uh, to hear that he's had some Zoom calls with him and working a lot of different things, you could see that the stride that a lot of people worried about when McDonough was in his early years at Northeastern has, I wouldn't say completely disappeared because I think that there's still a little bit of acceleration and agility that you want to see there. But when he gets going and he's at a full speed, like he's a big body coming down the wing, powerful stride. And and obviously the strong thing with McDonough is his shot. And that was showcased throughout. You could see it in all the drills. You could see in the game scoring a couple of goals in the scrimmage there. I mean, when the puck's on his stick and the dangerous part of the ice, like he, he doesn't miss often. He's got a real good, Pop to his shot. It just feels like there's a heaviness that a lot of people like to talk about with a good shot. Like, his shot can hit a goaltender and still go in. So, I was, you know, I was really impressed with him. Uh, We'll see what happens as the season goes on with him. Uh, You know, he told us that uh, he wants to sign with the Canucks at the end of his season and we'll see how that goes and if that's going to be the opportunity for him. I think he... He'll be a guy that uh, Abbotsford will be really excited to get at the end of March or early April.
1: Now, as far as the kids that were drafted in this past year's draft, what stood out to you from what you saw?
2: Yeah, uh, you know what? Um, a name that I also really liked at camp was Damon Gardner. I thought he was you know, a, a very raw talent that the Canucks were able to take a swing on in the fourth round. He was big, strong. Um, it's too bad that he's not coming here to play with Chilliwack. That would have been nice to just do the little drive out there and see him play a lot, but uh, I think some people might have worried a little bit because he's not being able to jump right into NCAA hockey, but just to see the raw talent that he had uh, a year in the USHL might be something that's good for him to kind of gain confidence after he wasn't able to really showcase his ability that much in the USHL. Like he obviously ripped up uh, high school hockey when he was playing there. But um, I, I think a year in the USHL will be good. Um, if you want to see a player that's, you know, at that level and a drafted player be able to jump into the NCAA, but A year in the USHL, I think, might be a good transition year for him because he only got to play, I think, you know, a dozen games or so last year in some playoffs. So, uh, for him to jump right into the USHL and be relied upon to be a top guy is going to be big. But, man, like, he, you know, he skates really well. He's a big six-foot-four center who, you know, play the wing as well. So, uh, keeping an eye on him for sure. And I know that uh, I don't really care too much to the goal tenders, but uh, Quads was telling me that Ty Young was pretty damn impressive with kind of (laughs) his mindset towards just the way that he likes to work. And I think this is something that you can clearly see, like the goaltenders that get drafted by the Vancouver Canucks, there's an absolute fingerprint of Ian Clark all over them. Uh, and if you can buy into that Ian Clark system, like we've seen from Ty Young, uh, he was locked in throughout the drills and uh, just, you know, kind of impressive from the mindset that he, the way that he's looking at it. I mean, this is a guy who was a backup last year in the WHL. It's kind of a little bit of a shocker. I think a lot of people saw when he was picked in the fifth round, but, uh, from everything that we've heard from him, and the you know he even mentioned like he's not very happy with where his team's at. Like he wants to be able to be a player who be a goaltender who can just take everything in from Ian Clark. And if he's able to do that, like you know you're working with the best goaltender coach in the world. We heard that from every goalie uh, that we spoke with uh, last week. So uh, it's a good spot for Ty Young as well. So we'll see what happens with him. But uh, yeah, it's kind of their you know their their first four picks. Like I did really like where they were at. They were pretty highly ranked and uh elite com, which is obviously a site that i love to look at for rankings and trust really well because they got some smart people over there uh but uh all in all yeah i think uh decent draft i wasn't blown away by it they didn't really have any absolute steals, but look Mackie at 15 is great for the team and it's you know he's instantly the number one prospect now for the canucks
0: uh this this might be a, a weird one to, to uh let you go on but um you know the new infrastructure of coaching in place. Like, how would you rate Henrik, Daniel, Sadin, uh, also uh, Mikhail Samuelson, and Mike Komisarek for what they uh, what they what they put together as the dev camp leaders?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought they were great. I thought that their skills coach Yogi out there was was great as well. He was running a lot of the drills. Um, but to see, you know, Mike Komisarek be a guy who was working with defensemen before and after practice, spending a lot of time with them in their drills. Uh, just having the Sedins, you know, hit you with softer passes throughout drills. I know that's great, and just I think specifically, I think they had ten players from Sweden at this camp, and every single time you brought up like how has the coaching been, I'm pretty sure that you know nine out of the ten probably brought up that it's incredible to be coached by Hall of Famers uh, in Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and and then the other guys like you know it, it's been I think it's been a tough time for a lot of teams in the NHL to have good communication with their European prospects. Uh, I think the Canucks have also been in the kind of weaker parts of that and being able to engage with their European prospects as well as have development camps and things like this in the past. But adding Samuelson is huge. Like, I I talked about this the other day. I was thinking, like, think about Lucas Forsell, who played in the SHL last year, had a good season. Uh, He's expected to be a guy who jumps right into an SHL lineup this year as an 18-year-old. But let's say he's the 13th forward for a couple of weeks and he's not getting any time. Mikael Samuelson holds a lot of weight when he shows up and he goes and talks to your general manager or coach and is saying, you know, what's the deal? Why isn't Lucas playing? Like, can we get him into some games? I think having a guy like Mikael Samuelsson over there in Sweden who can, you know, have a conversation with the coach, have a conversation with the GM, see what has to happen with the player to get them better, you know, chance to develop and play more minutes, I, I think it's absolutely massive. And, and with Commissarek, I found it interesting with a guy like Jacob Truscott, who's a Canucks defenseman, uh, prospect anyways, down in Michigan. Like, you know, they went to the same school together, Commissary to Michigan alum. So it, it was kind of funny to hear Truscott talk about like, oh, it's, you know, he knows about like the you know the dorms and the certain parts of like the campus and everything. So I think both both are great. I think if you can add as many people into these roles as possible, it's just going to help your development. So, yeah, big, uh, big ups to the Canucks. I think having the development camp is also just massive because they haven't had it since 2019. So this is a good step in the right direction. I know Ryan Johnson mentioned it as well, that you know the players that are in place and now having a distinct role for both the Sardines is is massive. So all in all, I think a really good week for development for the Vancouver Canucks prospects, and we hope that it continues on throughout the season.
0: Uh, unsigned text on the Dunbar-Lumber text line, just need to thank Favor for being a fellow shorts-to-wedding guy. Not enough of us out there. I mean, we don't want to show up the groom or anything by looking too
2: dapper. <laughs> You know what the problem was? It was like every guy that had the same body type as me was wearing the same thing too. So like, I, you know, me and the big guys with the beards were all rolling together at this <laughs> wedding. Like, you know, I'm sure that's going to show up real funny because the thing was, this wedding I went to was for a friend of mine. She's a doctor. Her parents are doctors. There were doctors everywhere. So it's this, you know, kind of fancy, nice wedding. Uh, but at least the bearded guys in shorts, we were all gathered together at the bar. We had a good night.
0: Uh, team shorts. Uh, Faber, always appreciate the time and the insights. Thanks
2: for this you bet you
0: guys have a good one uh, Canucks Army and Canucks combo Chris Faber doing a great job covering uh, Canucks development camp Um, it's it's a work in progress it's the first first bits of analysis on the Canucks and how they are planning to get their prospects and develop more prospects yep. it is such a crucial part of the new team build here in Vancouver
1: oh my my boy uh, Jonathan Meirenberg showing yep. some promise
0: where have I heard that before, Seth?
1: On Canuck Central. <laughs> John DeMeirenberg, right-hand defenseman. Keep an eye on him. Had a good season in Sweden. For as much as the Canucks prospect pool needs a lot of work, yes. Uh, there are a couple of potential diamonds in the rough. Yeah. I not know.
0: So you're saying... Slowly. A couple things can be true at the same time? Yeah. Canucks so. prospect pool needs work, but yeah. also there are some really interesting prospects even within their relatively shallow prospect pool. Yeah, I mean, that's the
1: thing that I kind of got away from digging into it this past year. We looked into things like, you know what, the four cell guy, interesting. Myronberg, interesting. Yeah, they need a lot more, but there are a couple of guys that can still turn out to be something for you. Like don't be surprised that in a couple of years for as much talk about those guys, that one of those two players, one or two of those guys do end up being contributors.
0: Uh, Don Taylor, Don Indali will be joining us next. He joins us every single Monday. The legend Don Taylor is next on Sports at 650. Vance the Insulator on the Dunbar Lumber text line asking are you guys on at this time for good now? No. But this week we are uh 9 to noon Monday through Thursday. Friday we're on 2 to 4. Sat and I putting our final Canuck Central shows together here on Monday and Tuesday. I'm off on Wednesday. I'm seeing the uh Blue Jays baseball uh Blue Jays Challenger baseball golf tournament with Pat Borders, Troy Stetcher and others. Um and then Sat, you are off for a little vacay, well-earned vacay, after Wednesday. Yeah, man. So your last bits of Canucks Central for the uh, summer are this week. And then starting next week, uh, we will be uh, the People's Show from 12 to 4 in the afternoons. So it's a bit of a changed schedule, but one uh, that we hope you'll like through the course of the summer. Um, it is Canuck Central Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw still a lot that uh, we wonder about with the Vancouver Canucks and what is going to happen next but obviously JT Miller <laughs> discussions continue to dominate the day whether it's what it looks like with him in the lineup next year, how they would navigate a new contract, like we talked about on Friday, mm-hmm. or what a trade package should look like, which Sat is once again fighting over with on Twitter about with some of our listeners, Abu, who is a big Philip Heedle fan. The JT Miller discussions never really end, do they, Sat? No, they don't. I mean, because it's still that big
1: question for this team heading into next season. Is he going to be signed, unsigned? What's going to happen with his future? One way or another, there needs to be some resolution. And until that happens, the question is
0: going to be posed and talked about. And uh, that question was posed uh, by Donnie and Dolly to the president, Jim Rutherford, on Friday. And uh, Drew... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an exchange that got everybody uh, excited on Friday, Donnie. Uh, it's Don Taylor joining us uh, here on Canuck Central. That uh, that exchange with you and Rutherford was uh, was something to see. <laughs> yeah,
3: it was. Of uh, course, Rick was involved too. But it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, it's funny that um, I think a lot of people liked it. They they, they liked him firing back at us. Uh, it was it was shades of Brian Burke. But I always I always kind of got the feeling even he's been around forever. I remember Jim Rutherford as a, you know, a goaltender with one of the great masks in NHL history with the wings above the eyes when he played for Detroit, but I didn't, I can't say I really knew a lot about him, but I kind of got the idea when he first got here that he had, he had some edge and some fire. I don't think you'd last that long in the national hockey league without that, and, you know, in both capacities as a player and an executive. And he sure showed that on, on, uh, on Friday. But um, he knows the market. I mean, it's passionate. And he he asked the question about impatience. Now I'll stick by with what I said. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's been 1970. And for people, and no cups, two riots, a lot of disappointment, right? And, and some moments uh, that I would say, I'd say the infamous moments out, outnumber the famous moments. And uh, I, I think he knows that. And even for people who are younger, like, you know, if you were born in like 1990 or 90, there's still a lot of pain there. So I think that's where the impatience comes. We And no one wants to see them blow the J.T. Miller move, mm-hmm. whether it's trading him for nothing, uh, not trading him a- at all and getting nothing in return. It's happened before. It happened, it happened in Calgary last week. So people are worried about that sort of thing. You've got this valuable, valuable asset. You you're not really sure what he wants to do, J.T. Miller. So, yeah, there's some impatience there. People people want to know. And I think he knows that, but I'm sure he's getting a little tired of it.
1: Well, I'm sure they are. And that's just the reality, though, right? I mean, you come to a hockey market, and as much as, you know, you expect to hear these things, I'm sure at some point it does get a little annoying when you keep hearing about trade stuff and stuff that maybe not may not be true in their eyes, but... Hey, that's the job, right, Donnie? Like we talk about speculation, we talk about possibilities, we hear things, we talk about, it, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But I think the biggest question here is, how much could their hands be tied with what's going on with the roster? Because what did we talk so much about last offseason when the Canucks made the trade for OEL and Garland and signed Pullman and Hamannick and those guys? And and I think we all kind of understood that this team was locked in for a couple of years with all these cap commitments. And, and I think we all really hoped and based on everything, you know, Rutherford and Alvin said about wanting to be aggressive, clearing cap space, that maybe they would be able to do some of those things. But I guess the reality is it's a lot harder than anybody really thought to move guys off this roster that you don't want here.
3: Yeah. And I think too, when you think about the other national hockey league GMs, they're probably, they probably want Miller too, but they, they wouldn't mind waiting when they're, maybe he's down to his last pressure point and that would be next trade deadline. And so, you know, what could you get Miller for then? Or, you know the other pressure point is when it's it's, it's next summer and he just leaves. Um, so you know they're not stupid either. And, and yeah, and and look, whatever happens with J T. Miller, some of the blame is going to if 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 it ends up negative, some of the blame is going to go to the previous regime. So um, there, there's that, and then you know at this point, I wonder how good the deals have been. I the one thing I didn't get was. And again, there's a. And we had that conversation on Friday with Jim, and you leave a million things on the table. You wish uh, you would have asked him. But the one thing about trading Miller at this year's, this past season's trade deadline is that whoever gets him gets him for two playoff seasons. And I just, I just think that would have been the point where he might have been at his highest value, and it went by the by the board. So I, I, I just, uh, I, I do wonder uh, about that.
0: You know what. <laughs> That, that is probably the situation we're going to end up looking back on. And, you know, maybe if um, Miller signs, you know, that, that doesn't become as much of an issue. But if they do end up having to go down the road of trading him at the deadline, you know, what is the return then? It's probably still a pick and a prospect, especially if Miller's playing well, but may not be quite as much as what they would have gotten last year. Although mm-hmm. the deals we we heard about really weren't all that enticing. The Rangers putting up Heedle and Lundqvist in a first, it's nice, but is it is it really all that much to get you to move off of the player that's kind of carrying you and willing you into a playoff conversation again? I mean, that, that's kind of it, Donnie. Is is this team is just wanting to contend at all times and it was just they they made a decision they weren't going to give up on or they weren't going to give up on the players. Who fought themselves back into a playoff conversation last last year,
2: and you
3: wonder if that's going to happen next year. And that's the, I think that's the big worry with, with with Canucks fans. You know, what if they're a point out of a playoff spot, but probably right. wouldn't make much playoff noise. And that's another thing we left on the table uh, on Friday. I wish we would have asked them uh, that as well. But you know, what if you're in a playoff spot, just clinging on to a playoff spot, and and Francesco says hey, look, I need some playoff revenue. I haven't had any, you know, in a long, long time, since 2015, really, because 2020 was in the bubble. So I, I, I need that, even, even if it's a couple of games and then, you know, you end up getting blown out in four, he gets a couple of games, of uh, home games of uh, playoff revenue, and then you say goodbye to JT Miller. I think that's almost like, a, you know, could be the worst case scenario for them. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, anything's possible, but the possibilities are, you know, are are dwindling as time goes by because you've gone by that pressure point of the deadline, uh, the draft. We'll see what happens from here, but it's, it, it is fascinating. I think, you know, I wonder guys, like, are we, are we looking down the wrong tunnel here? I mean, uh, everybody's talking about trading him and I get that. It, and he's a valuable asset. He's going to be a UFA, but uh, are, are we looking down the wrong tunnel and that maybe we should be looking at the other side of things and maybe they're very serious about resigning him. But there's, like you know, like Sad said, there's just not a lot of cap room there, so you wonder how that could, that could be done.
1: Well, and and that's the big thing. But I but I do think you know what you just talked about the desire to sign him and something we talked about a lot on the show over the past six or seven months has been a lot stronger than some of the trade rumors would suggest, right? Because yeah, the trade rumors have been out there, but all along, Donnie, and when you look at what's happened and how everything has unfolded. It really does show that they have a real strong desire to keep him if possible. They won't pay him whatever he wants and it's not going to be some stupid contract, I don't think, but it's very clear that the reason they're this patient with the offers and their situation is they still have a real strong desire to keep him if they can.
3: Yeah, and and you know, when you look at when Bruce Boudreau took over and you look at what happened after then, you know, maybe they're looking they have said it, <laughs> maybe they're looking at, you know, what happened ha- although, you know, you know, Bruce's job was in peril there for a while. But you wonder if they think, well, look, this core stays together, and uh, they have Bruce and, and with Mike Yo and a different, you know, uh, set of assistants, that maybe they could do something. The danger there is that you know when you 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 look at a past performance where you didn't quite get to the to where you want to get, but there was a lot of promise there. So let's let's focus in on that and resign J T. Miller, and everything will be fine because look at how good they were for those. 50 plus games that are Bruce Boudreaux. The problem with that um, is that you look back to what happened this past season and Jim Benning and company were looking at the 2020 bubble and they thought that there was so much promise there. We build on that. We're going to have a really good team. Well, that didn't work out and everybody, everybody got uh, fired. I just, uh, I, I just, you know, if they do resign uh, Miller, that means they're looking at a, at a, at a now team. And I just don't think they're there yet. I think the focus, and we haven't had that word, you know, thrown around enough with this organization. I think the focus should be the Stanley Cup, the future, getting cap room, getting prospects, and that's where JT Miller deals is the best thing to do.
0: You know, the the, the thing that kind of uh, caught me about the the exchange with Rutherford is, uh, you know, fifty years of of not winning, but you know, from Rutherford's point of view, like, well, what's that got to do with me? I just got here, you know, and that's that's kind of the the the. The interesting contrast of how you know um, those who have lived it here in Vancouver for so long feel differently from what a new management team looks at when they when they come into this, Donnie.
3: Yeah, I, I, and that's fair. That, that's fair him to, for him to say that, but it's reality. And what what does that come down to? It comes down to emotion. And there, there, it's not it, it's not rational. It, you know, it's ne- not necessarily reasonable. But there's a lot of emotion out there, you know, especially for people that have been around that long. And like you say, it's not even an old guy thing. It's not even my generation. It's the people that are younger. They they've gone through a whole lot of pain, uh, like, you know, you, yourselves included. There's a whole lot of pain if you're if you're a Canuck fan. There's a whole lot there, and it's, it, I'm sure Jim has his emotional moments, like he may have had on Friday. Where, where it's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? But on the other side, there's a whole lot of emotion. Like, come on, we've seen this before. And we, you know, do something with that asset. So it's, it, it, and look, and at the end of the interview, I'm pretty sure we said this, but, you know, would you rather be in, in a market where no one cares or where there is a whole lot of passion? And, you know, people show up and people still care, even when you're losing. I, I think you want to, at the very least, experience uh, the latter, where there is a whole lot of passion and, and there's a whole lot of emotion. And sometimes with emotion, you know, stupid things come out of people's mouths. And that's just the way it is. But it, the root of it all is emotion and passion. And, and if I'm him, I'm okay with that. He's Canadian. I'm sure he understands it too. And it, But by the way, at the end of the interview, mm-hmm. we left on good terms. We asked him about his pet bird. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> And he was and apparently it wasn't a bird. we heard it in the in the background of an interview with you guys mm-hmm. and it was squawking away, so we asked him about it, and he laughed about it and he said, no, it was just a bunch of crows in a, you know outside his deck <laughs> so but it sounded like some sort of parakeet or something, so he had some fun at, at the end but uh, i I'll tell you this like with your interview, our interview and just hearing him over the last uh you know since December since he came on board. He's must-listen radio or must-watch TV. He's he's really good. There's a whole lot there. He's got a great presence.
1: Oh, he he does. I mean, the one thing I will say, too, for as much as he pushed back and all that sort of stuff, the thing he makes clear is that he loves all the discussion around the team. And he thinks, you know, the whole rumor stuff is part of the game. And the only thing they don't like is, hey, maybe it unsettles a player who's not maybe potentially getting traded or not. But overall, I think the point that he wanted to make towards the end was, hey, this is fantastic. People care about the team in this market. And, you know, one thing I wonder about for next season, Donnie, if they don't make, say, another significant move, is is there a chance that this team is actually somewhat fun with their forward group next year? Maybe they'll have they'll be flawed and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they could be a fairly entertaining team up front next season.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, they've added speed with Mikheyev, some edge. Uh, with Lazar, so you'll like that, and then um, I I like the the situation with having three centers, two of which you can move to the wing, there's a lot of versatility there, I'm talking about uh, Miller and Pedersen I thought Pedersen was fine on the wall yesterday, you see that picture of him on Twitter, he looks like the Incredible Hulk you know, so there could be some you know, some even more, uh, more impressive production from him. But, yeah, they could be a whole, whole lot of fun. But, you know, guys, they, they worry about that back end and those passes getting up to the forwards. And everybody, when they talk about offense and fun and freewheeling, it, it all starts with the defenseman in that first pass. And, you know, fine, Quinn Hughes, OEL, same thing. But, you know, the rest of the group is still still a question. And I like Tyler Myers' hustle. He's not worth $6 million a year. And it makes the odd mistake out there. But they still have to improve that blue line, and I think that's the other thing—is no where you get a lot of emotion from Canuck fans. Um, you know, no move on JT Miller, and then what about the defense? It's the same right now. Um, that so there's there's that, but it, it yeah it, it, there's promise there. But you know, having a whole lot of fun with this group, the potential is there for sure.
0: You think uh, Rutherford is is the most entertaining uh, front office executive since Berkey?
3: Oh gosh, um, let me think here. Uh, yeah, Berkey was a whole lot of fun. I, Mike Gillis, he uh, might like to battle with the media. I will give him that. Yeah, you know. But there was, you know, he, he had this, you know, one tone to his voice. He never, you know, raised it or anything like that. The, he 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 made it clear he wasn't a huge fan of, of the media, especially an ex partner of mine on the radio. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I'm talking about Mojo and uh, and uh, um, yeah, I would think so. Jim, Jim Benning is the nicest. I just, I remember him as like covered him as a player. He's just, you know, super nice guy. So yeah, you got, you got to give it to Jim. He's got that presence. Like he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the you know youngest guy in the world, certainly, but he's got a great energy and a great presence about him where I, I remember Ray Ferraro talking about how he didn't really know Pat Quinn that well, but whenever he saw him, he would say, you know what? I don't know much about him, but he's definitely in charge. And that's kind of the way I feel about Rutherford, where, you know, you might not know about much about him. He's not the most imposing looking person in the world like that was. But you could just hearing him talk or even walk into a room. He's definitely the man in charge. And there's a personality there. It's 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 pretty interesting.
1: It is. Now, one other thing that I wonder about uh, as we get through this off season here, um, mm. Donnie, is. Do we see something that we haven't anticipated yet? Is there anything that we could see as a surprise? And do we even consider anything potentially a surprise at this point when we've talked about essentially every single machination possible for this team?
3: Okay, here I go. Right. I took a lot of heat on this on, on Twitter, but he's still available. and I know he, he's coming off a $9 million a year contract, but is there any way they make room for a veteran right-handed defenseman who's mm. seen better days? But i am talking about P.K. Subban. I threw that out there before free agency opened, and some people agreed with me. I know there's not a whole lot of room there, but I don't I don't hear a lot of rumors about people clamoring to get PK Subban. They need help on the right side. He'd add some zest to the to the lineup. There's a big personality there, so maybe you know I'll throw that out there again and and take the heat. But it would it would it would certainly make things interesting.
0: Uh, yeah, the the PK Subban one would definitely uh, interesting is <laughs> is one word for it. Uh, Donnie, uh, so, uh, summer, summer days are ahead for you. Uh, what's, what's that mean? You know, just, uh, chill out in the back patio with a soda pop, watch the, uh, home run derby tonight or what?
3: Jeez. Do you know? Yeah. Do you, uh, have you looked at my schedule? That's exactly what I've been doing. <laughs> I, right now I'm like, I'm trying to get, I've got a whole bunch of projects around the house. So, so there's that, but of more importance, I'm trying to catch up on uh, better call. Saul. So oh. that's,
0: uh, yeah, best, best yeah. show on TV right now.
3: Is it? You, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I blown away with it. Like, just to, for them to go back-to-back back, uh, with, you know, Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul, which I just, I, you know, because of COVID, the last two seasons, five, and I'm just, I have to get six going here as well. I, you know, drop the ball on, but I'm getting caught up on that. It's just absolutely, absolutely tremendous.
0: Donnie, you're the best. Thanks for this. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there is Don Taylor joining us here on Canuck Central. It's so true about You as a fan view this team as always coming up short, always underachieving. Um, They've had good teams but still came up short. 2011, still felt by this fan base. But what are Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine supposed to do about that? They can't come into this job with the emotion of the fan base and look at it like, hey, we want to give these guys a Stanley Cup. Like, of course they want to give you... A good hockey team that competes for a Stanley Cup, but they have nothing to do with the last 50 years of this franchise. They have to clean up the mess that was left by the previous front office before they can tangibly bring this team towards being a Stanley Cup contender again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember when Mike Gillis was hired, he had something similar. He said something similar to what Rutherford said, because, you know, there's a sense of, you you know, uh, this market, they're not just upset about what's happening now. They're upset about everything that's happened since 1970s as the team came in and all that sort of stuff. And the response was, that's not our problem. We weren't here then. And these players weren't here then. It's not their fault. Like, you can't hold that against these guys. And, that's easy to say, and and I understand that from their perspective, and that's absolutely true. It's hard for fans to change that mm-hmm. perspective because you're a fan, and you know everything in the history of the team conflates and you feel it and and that's what comes out. I think the frustration sometimes from uh, from people with the team and with sport is like, do media perpetuate that as opposed to telling you what's actually going on? And that's sometimes what what the team gets upset about like, hey, fans are gonna fan, but are you perpetuating something? that you shouldn't be perpetuating. That sometimes is a frustration from the team. And hey, sometimes that's correct. And sometimes it's just sour grapes because you're not happy with what's being said about your team. And those are the things that happen. But overall, if you're in a situation where you have multiple shows, you have multiple outlets, you have multiple people covering the team, and and there is this much competition in the media, that means there's a lot of interest in your team. That means there's... And following your team... And those are good things for the sport. So as much as sometimes you hear these guys get a little upset about things, overall, they understand it's the nature of the beast. And the machine, so to speak, is good for the game because it wouldn't be this big if the game didn't matter.
0: It's um, Part of the problem is, is you've seen the movie so many times and you can find little things that remind you of that movie and how it played out. Oh, yeah, you want to open up cap space, but you're not doing it. I've seen this movie before. Because the previous front office had been saying that so many times. Yeah, we were going to try and move out money so that we can do some things. Didn't happen. Um, We don't want to lose players for free. You end up losing them for free. Those types of things have happened in the past. There has been a lot of broken promises. But a new front office, what are they supposed to do about that? There's not much they can do about that um we have to take them at their word that you know if they can't figure out a deal for JT Miller then they will have to figure out a trade or explore that trade and that's been their stance to this point on the situation but also they've been pretty clear that they'd like to keep JT Miller as much as rumors and discussion around him potentially being traded has dominated the conversation. They've always said from day one, we want to keep this guy. Mm-hmm. And you've reported that they've wanna keep this guy even before they came out and kept saying it. And like I've said all
1: along, are they going to be able to do it? Maybe not. You know, they're not in a rush to make that trade. And and we'll see ultimately what happens. But they're not going to just settle for a trade. They're not going to take money back. And one of the things that is very, very clear about this front office, Dan, flexibility does matter. Yeah. You know, and you want to get the assets back in return for sure, but you also want to have some flexibility. Yeah. And when we talk so much about, say, the Rangers and everything, Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, certain players that are available. Remember Pavel Zaka and those sort of things? I think the reason the Canucks weren't as interested in getting those players, doesn't give you cap flexibility. Yeah. If you're taking back, you know, a salary worth two and a half to three million for a guy who's going to play in your middle six, potentially in a JT trade, that's not flexibility. Mm -hmm. That's not giving you what you need. So- If you're not getting the assets you want, you at the very least want as much flexibility as possible. And that means you don't want to take money back in return in any way, shape, or form unless that's going to be a real strong contributor to your franchise.
0: Uh, This texter asked them why they haven't done what they have stated. Use their own quotes. What they have done is very incongruent with their stated goals. That's fair. Uh, Again, you know, they've said they want to open up cap space, they haven't done that. They've added, I believe it's $4 million net to their salary cap picture. So they haven't done it. it. Doesn't mean they haven't tried, number one, and it doesn't mean they won't. A lot of the players that we're talking about moving still have term. Guys like Myers, guys like Pearson, other players on the roster, sometimes time and the ability of, or The fact that they get closer to expiring make those contracts more desirable. The salary cap will continue to go up. That potentially helps the ability and the flexibility around the league for teams to take on that salary. Fact is, the Canucks were locked into this team, and that's part of why it's been so difficult to move some of these salaries. Like, I'm not happy that they haven't been able to open up some of that flexibility, Sat, but I also understand and view around the league how difficult it has been to move money and how it's only getting more difficult to move money the later you get into the off season. Well, the money's being earmarked already. Yes. You know, and you start looking around the league, the
1: teams that have cap flexibility, most of them aren't really good teams. And some teams that are decent, they have RFAs they gotta pay. Yeah. And like team like Columbus, t- to pay a lot, they have to make moves. Other teams to make things fit, they gotta make moves. Yeah. Colorado wants to keep Cadre, they gotta make moves. So even the teams that have a little bit of flexibility, they're looking to clear more to
0: make the moves they want to make. So it's either make a move, make a trade maybe you don't like, or be a little bit more patient and hope that you can make that move down the road with some terms that are a little bit more palatable to you. I think that's how uh, the situation has played out to a certain extent. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. Final hour of Canucks Central is next on Sportsnet 650.